Hi, I'm Eddie Joe, and I have four special guests with me today. Hi, I'm one of the four special guests. My name is Katka, and I am her daughter. And the other three special guests are nonverbal, and they are dogs. Well, they are verbal. They just uh, bark. Yeah, sorry. Well, they're just not in our own language. That's true. Okay. Um, Katka would... I would like to ask Katka how she felt when I was first diagnosed, what was uh, uh, the stuff she was going through. It's going to start that open-ended? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's start open-ended. Um, when my mom was first diagnosed, um, from talking to her, it seems like she kind of repressed a lot of it, but I feel like I remember it very clearly. Um, it was a, a really hard time. Obviously, when you get news like that, especially a terminal diagnosis, it's not easy for anyone to digest. Um, but I feel like myself, my brother, we were trying to remain optimistic, maybe naively so. Um and my mom's uh, kind of strategy was to prep us and prep us for her death and prep us for the worst. And it was not optimistic. It was not positive. And I don't say this <laughs> to be rude or negative towards her. That's just how it happened. So I'm laying it out how it was, right? This is not criticizing you at all. I can't put myself in her shoes. So, um... I gotta say, when we first got the news, I was not coping in the slightest because everything revolved around death. I mean, I I, I bought you a computer and your first reaction was, but what about when I die? I, no, I didn't say the word die. I said, what about if I... And I didn't finish the sentence. Oh, so, so you remember that? <laughs> I, I do remember okay. it. I know because I was... Um, that, that was my first thing. Yeah, I just heard that I'm going to die and and you bought me this new computer. So, <laughs> or, or anything like it was um, my brother is still in college, but at the time he was a sophomore and it was immediately it was how are you going to study once I die? Are you going to be able you didn't want him to sign um, a contract with a lease? Yeah. yeah, a lease for an apartment um with his friends because you were going to die and you did you thought it would be a waste of money that he would have to come and live at home because he'd be grieving i mean everything revolved around death and we couldn't really for several months there couldn't really move to a place of optimism i would say so i would say that there was really um not a lot of coping on my end at least positive coping that was happening yeah, I wasn't the best mama. I'm, no, I, no, that's not what no, I meant. No, 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 no. I wasn't thinking. I was thinking about you, but only at the in the way that you are going to be grieving. I wasn't thinking really about you at the time, um, what you were going through. You know, I, I felt terribly, terribly sorry for you that you are going to be without me. And that you'll have to do all the things uh, without me. But I really wasn't focusing on you at the present. I think that was my 
fault. That was the mistake. But uh, to be honest, I was a complete mess. You know, so it's not, you know, like to give an advice to a person who is um, getting a diagnosis and to tell them, be aware of your family, how they feel, because they suffer as much as you do, maybe even more. It's not, how can I give an advice like that to anybody? Because it's it's such a shock. It's, it is a death in a way. It is a uh, death of your life as you knew it you know so we cannot give anybody any advice we just can talk about what we felt and how you all got through it if you can tell us more about that I mean I would still say try to remain positive um, because maybe hearing us trying to remain positive somewhat helped you at the time Mm -hmm. and if we would have fallen into the same pattern of talking about your death as like something that was coming in the foreseeable future, we maybe have even spiraled a little bit further in in a negative way, you know? I think it was that maybe, I don't remember much from that time, you know, what you're talking about, but I would say it was maybe two, three months, right? Me being in that uh, frame of mind, and then it got better as I, as I started uh, chemotherapy and we were... No. Yeah, I think that, you know, because it all kind of like was a cascading effect. I mean, you got the diagnosis, then you were supposed to get um, a surgery. And then the surgery didn't happen because the diagnosis got worse and surgery was no longer an option. And then they were exploring chemo, but that was going to take another several weeks. So I felt like we were in a limbo of just getting bad news several days later, more bad news several days later, worse news, and no way out in terms of a treatment or even an idea of what the treatment was going to be. So I think that was probably the worst time because it was just bad news, no solution. Um, But then once you started chemo and then subsequently once you had your first scan and it was positive, um, I think things started showing improvement. And then at that time you had already started antidepressants as well. So I think there was a lot of variables that overlapped to get us to a better place? Um, For me, um, the first uh, treatment, it was the uh, three very aggressive drugs that I got. uh, I know that I was a pain in the ass for everybody because uh, not only I felt absolutely horrible, you know, it was, uh, it made me so uh, sick. You know, I, I was thinking this is such a barbaric way to deal with it you know i was i was mad at my doctor thinking she doesn't give me any hope and then she puts me through this but as she told me without treatment i would have died within probably four or five months you know so that's what she thought maybe maybe half a year so i i i was aware that i needed the treatment but it just um it made me into this shell of a person. Well, it right? almost seemed like the chemo was killing you, not the cancer, because prior to your diagnosis, you had experienced some pain, but it was no way debilitating and in no way like stopping your ability to function in life. It was the chemo that did that to you. Yeah. Yeah, that was not fun. Well, Kachi, could you tell us please something about how you coped? with that you know 
You said something about it that you couldn't sleep. Um, well, it's going to sound like a personal plug because I foster dogs, but it is not that. I do feel like it just helps me um, feel some sort of sense of control over my life. I mean, I started fostering dogs like the day pandemic closures started because I was not coping with that. And then um, I started fostering as a result. And then, um, I stopped once I had to, you know, go back to work in person because I didn't think it fit my lifestyle. And then your diagnosis came and like six months after, um, I had gone back to work in person. So I'd stay up at night and I wasn't sleeping and I was just scrolling through my phone and I would see all these pictures of dogs that needed foster homes. And I just kept thinking like, you know, if I can't control what happens in my life and I can't control what happens, like if my loved ones live or die, I can at least control if these dogs live or die because euthanasia is, you know, um, inevitable for, anyway, not a plug, I promise, but, um, (laughs) for dogs, (laughs) not a plug for dogs. But I mean, euthanasia is, uh, Inevitable for dogs, not for Oh, humans. yeah. I mean, I feel like that was pretty clear. Um, okay. I'm, I'm just saying not a plug for dogs or whatever, even though it's important to me. This is not what this episode's about. But I feel like it gave me some sort of control because these dogs were going to die and I could save them, even though I couldn't save you or anyone else, you know? So, because I just felt so helpless like every time I would talk to you I'd be like what can I do to help and like aside from you know getting you yummy treats or like whatever you were you know like like they were small tasks but they were not something that was going to actually make an impactful difference in your health and at least I could make an impactful difference in the life of something else that's alive and maybe I believed in some way that you know I would bring good karma and that good things happen to good people even though bad things happen to good people too and it's just it was I just felt like it gave me a sense of control and that's what I did. And then uh, there was a slew of unhealthy coping strategies as well. And don't talk about those. But also, I don't know. Um, I do this thing where I pretend things aren't happening sometimes. Um, and I don't know how I do it. But I just almost envision my life as like something fictional like a movie or a video game and I just say like what would I do if I was in this situation even though I'm living the situation and I I just do that and like pretend it's like some something fictional even though it's very much real so not really something I'm a psychologist I don't this is not something I (laughs) teach other people as a coping (laughs) skill but something I did (laughs) well uh the fiction is a fairy tale now, right? Almost. We don't know the ending, the ha- uh, but it seems like a happy ending now. I mean, right? I could die tomorrow too. We don't know. Of course, but you know, considering that I was supposed to be dead last year. You know, so. Yeah. I mean, no one could have predicted that we were going to be where we are now. Um, I mean, it almost seems unfair talking about like where are we now because it's not everyone's story. But I feel very lucky that it's ours. Uh, you're really healthy, you are back to your normal self, um, 
The only thing that's really different is your hair. <laughs> um, it's never been really great. So. You never really had great hair. No, no. Yeah, it's so just not such a big loss. It's just significantly worse now. <laughs> but I still have hair. You still have it. I mean, yeah. you didn't ever completely lose it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's almost like as if I can pretend it's not happening because it doesn't feel like it's happening anymore. Like life re- used to revolve around it. Like, life used to revolve around, like, all these chemo appointments and all these, you know, like, we'd try to get together on the weekends, but you'd be sleeping anyway, you know, like, you were because just you were just so tired and, like, life used to revolve around cancer and now life can be life again. And Do you think about it uh, often now that uh, I have cancer? Not since the summer. Mm-hmm. And in the summer, I gotta be honest, I, like, totally forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Because you were, (laughs) like, when we were hiking in the mountains in Slovakia, and she was doing better than other members of the party. (laughs) Like, three-fourths of the family. You were just, like, hiking ahead, and people were like, slow down, and they were 18, or younger, younger, like 15, you'd think that you'd be, like, the one slowing the group down, but you definitely were not. So, I mean, how can you not forget that that's your reality when your reality is just normal normal yeah well i think Achi, well we've been talking f- for 13 minutes uh and i would like to thank you for everything not for this episode but for believing in the happy ending or the believing that uh, i'm going to stay here a little bit longer and mm, sometimes I, I i did think that you were sort of like closing your eyes uh, in front of the reality. But um, you helped me with uh, my mom in the fall. You helped me so much, you know, and you were the the only one who believed that grandma would um, survive, and she did. Yep, no one's dead until they're dead. Exactly, exactly. Well, and thank you for everything. You've done so much for me, and I I will always be very, very grateful for it. Okay, love you. Love you, too. (laughs) Thank you.